Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. I'm honored you guys would choose to come and join with us to start your week off. I want to welcome those of you watching online from whenever or wherever. We know so many of you tune in each and every week, and we just want to say thank you for that. And then lastly, welcome in to those of you out in PV this morning, uh, joining us at Glassford Hill Middle School. Thanks for uh, being here with us today. Before we jump into our sermon uh, this morning, I just want to celebrate a couple of things that happened uh, this past week for Thanksgiving. Giving. The first one is, so our student ministry, Colin and his students and volunteers uh, got together and they were able to deliver 90 boxes like Thanksgiving meals to our community here in Prescott and in Prescott Valley. Yeah, really, really cool. Definitely. <clears throat> And then Tuesday night here at our Prescott campus, we always have our community meal, and it was Thanksgiving, and if you were here, you would have smelled Thanksgiving all day long. I think even into Wednesday, I was still smelling it. It was so great. It was just a feast, and they were able to feed about 70 people. So just really cool, just a really awesome thing. Um, Yeah, definitely, we can clap for that for sure. And really, the reason I bring it up, because I just want to say thank you to you guys as a church, um, both here in Prescott and Prescott Valley. Man, each time you choose to excel and grow in the grace of your giving, it allows us to make a tangible impact in our community. And so I'm grateful to just be a part of a church that is willing to be generous um, so that we can serve our community in really cool ways. So thank you for that. Well, today we're finishing up our Someone is Missing, a study through the Holy Spirit. I know for a lot of us, this has been a really great series and we've learned a ton. So I just want to maybe remind us of where we've been over the past few months. So here are some of the things that we've learned. We learned that the Holy Spirit is God and he's been here since the beginning. We learned that it's to our advantage that Jesus would leave and the Holy Spirit would come. We learned that the normative way that somebody receives the Spirit is through the act of baptism. We learned the Holy Spirit's number one mission is to glorify Jesus. And everything he does in us and through us is done to accomplish that goal. We learned that the Holy Spirit won't shame us and he'll never leave us. Uh, We learned that we're always producing fruit, either fruit of the Spirit or fruit of the flesh. And we do not produce the fruit of the Spirit because it's the Spirit who produces that in us. Our job is to crucify the flesh. And that's best done in community. 
Not with just people who know our name, but people who know our sin. We didn't learn to walk or be led by the Spirit. We have to make it our mission to glorify Jesus. We have to read his word. We have to listen to and for his voice. And we have to obey. And then lastly, we learn that everyone has a gift. No one has no gift. Everyone has different gifts. And nobody has all the gifts. And the overarching reason why we did this deep, intensive, nine-week study into the person of the Holy Spirit is because 62% of Christians, you and me, us, don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a real person, but mainly only a force out in the universe like Star Wars. And it's left us like this two-legged stool. Now, I'm not nearly brave enough to sit on this like Jason. It ain't happening. And that's the point. Like, we should see that and go, this is foolish. Why would we live our faith that way? Why would we live our faith using just a two-legged stool? Which is why many of us, our faith feels like work. It's why we feel so spiritually empty and tired. So many of us are working as hard as we can to keep our faith upright, but it just keeps falling over. I really believe so many of us have needed this mindset shift. We've needed to learn or relearn what it looks like to live our life with the incredible gift that God has given us called the Holy Spirit. And how do we stop living in our own strength and allow him to live through us? Which brings us to this week. Before we get there, though, let me just pray. Father, we're grateful, so very grateful for what you've shown us in your word over these past few months. Our prayer is that today we're amazed again at the truth of this incredible gift of your presence in the spirit that you've given to your people. God be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I know so many of us right now, we look around the world and we uh, see and hear all of the stuff that's going on. And for a lot of us, if we're honest, you know, a lot of us, we aren't hopeful and we aren't joyful. A lot of times the reality of the brokenness that we're impacted by each day, it leaves us anxious or afraid, right? And the world is for sure broken. Like, I think all of us know that, but I am more and more convinced, like I am certain that the church of Jesus Christ is built for moments just like this, right? Like, I believe that that is if we step into and embrace who we are, and what we've actually been given. That the church, that the people of God, you and me, have the possibility through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us to actually point to another way to be human. The way to live as God has always intended it to be. A way to flourish in this world. And the danger is, if you've grown up in church... Like knowing that the Holy Spirit is real isn't likely a new concept. The danger is that we don't live like it. And the reason we don't live like it is because we have an enemy, like a real enemy who wants nothing more than for us to forget what we do have. An enemy that wants us to not see the significance of what we've been given. An enemy who wants to deceive us to believe that it's within our own strength and our own power that we must trust. An enemy who wants us to minimize or trivialize the word of God, which tells us that you 
that you are God's temple. Like each time we should read this and see this and come across this in scripture, like we should be blown away by what this is telling us. Like we should be overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving to even just think that we somehow are God's temple. But I know the enemy is powerful because a lot of times we read this and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, Josh. Like we're not blown away, but this is such an incredible thing. And this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this idea of you are God's temple and why it actually matters. And so this idea of you is actually two yous. So it's you as an individual, and then it's, you know, Kentucky, it's you as in y'all, which is us, okay? And we're going to look at why that's significant. But before we can do that, we got to understand this idea of the temple, because a lot of us, we don't, we don't understand it because we don't know. So in the very beginning, remember, it's the people of God in the place of God, enjoying the presence of God. That's how it was in the garden. Adam and Eve, and then God was literally just walking around with them. That's how it always was supposed to be. And then we know that humanity sins against God and can no longer be in the place of God. And so God kicks the people of God out of the Garden of Eden or the place of God, thus breaking access to the presence of God. And then God's redemptive plan kicks off. God goes and rescues a people that are not a people, and he creates a people. And then he takes those people and he crosses that Red Sea and they get into what is the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness walking around, God says, I want you to do something for me. I want you to build a tabernacle or a tent and it will be the place where my presence will reside so that I will always be with you. And then he says, when they cross into the promised land, I want you to build a fixed structure that's called the temple. But the purpose is the exact same. The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet. The temple is to be the place where the presence of the living God invades space and time, right? And it's important because the presence of God is what separates us and marks us as the people of God. I love this exchange that Moses had in Exodus. Said Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses is looking at God and he's like, We're, I ain't going. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. Because it's your presence that people will know that we're your people, God. That's how it's going to be a marker, right? And so God's presence comes and it dwells in the tabernacle and it dwells in the temple. And it's amazing, but there's a problem. Sin. You see, because of sin, people are still restricted from the presence of God. Like literally within the temple, there is a barrier that separates the holy place from the most holy of places. Like literally a giant curtain or veil separates the people of God from the presence of God. So we have the place, we have the people, but again, access to the presence of God is restricted. It's restricted so much that on one day of the year, the high priest can enter into, for all the people, the most holy of places. Like you got to hear this, the most holy person in the most holy people group one day a year after he spends weeks ceremonially cleansing himself because he does not want to be unclean, 
is able to walk in behind a curtain and he's terrified that he may die, but he's able to go in there on one day a year. Like he wasn't able to walk in there on some random Tuesday. Like the access was restricted to a level. I think it's hard for us to even grasp. And this is how the people of God lived for centuries, for centuries. The place where heaven and earth meet, they're restricted and really can't even get in there. And then Jesus shows up. In John 1, it tells us that the word, Jesus, who was God and was with God since the very beginning, became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Really interesting, the word dwelling here is the same word for tabernacle. That Jesus tabernacled with us. It's more than just a tent. Jesus now is the place where heaven and earth would meet. And he begins to point the way. So maybe there's a new reality that the people of God could experience. Could it be that humanity itself could actually somehow enjoy the presence of God in their midst, right? That's what's so incredible. So that's the idea of the temple, like a really, really important thing. But really, man, just to sum it up again, it's God's presence with his people, the place where heaven and earth meet. So again, what's then the significance of you? Like, what does this mean as a y'all and a you? What does that mean? Well, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Again, this you here is plural. This, he's talking about the church. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Don't you know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, this is individual, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. And so Paul says that there's something incredible that has happened. That the church and individuals have somehow become God's temple. And Paul uses this word. Do you not know? Don't you know? As we've learned, that means you should know, but you weren't paying attention, right? And so Paul is going to actually say the reason you should know this is because it actually matters. There's actually a really big thing that this is messing up, and you're not living like it should. So the first one, the plural one. So the church of Corinth is like a hot mess, right? If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, as Jason talked about last week, it's a letter in response to a lot of issues that were going on in the church. And when you read through it, you're like, whew. These people, right? I always say I'm hopeful because I'm like, oh, that's us. This is great, right? This is us as God's people who are struggling to figure out how to do this, right? But they were like extra in trouble. And so Paul writes this letter to them and he writes a whole response. It's all found in chapter three. So this is all about the church. I want you to see this. So he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly. And this is the key. This is the word I want us to see. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it yet. Indeed, you're still not ready. He said, you're still worldly, right? For the, since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Again, that's our word, right? This is Paul's diagnosis of them. Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So Paul looks at the church and he's heard what's going on. And this is what's going on. They have a group of people that are going, hey, I'm team Paul. I follow him. And then we have a group that's I'm team Apollos, who's another pastor in the church. And like, he's my guy. 
and they're fighting and they're bickering and they're allowing worldly foolishness to infiltrate the church. And so Paul's response is like, I can't even talk to you. You're still being worldly. Like you may be baptized, but you're still a baby and you're acting like it. And so Paul's then response after he writes a few verses is what we see. Don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of God? That, that's his response to the problem of you're acting like everyone else in the world. Because see, we miss the significance of the church sometimes. You see, the church is placed in a community and around that community. We all know it's darkness and evil. It's void of God's presence. And the church is called to be something alternative to what the world has to offer. And so they weren't doing that in Corinth. So Paul says, don't you know? Like you have the spirit of the living God. He dwells in your midst and you're letting this kind of stuff divide you. And so Paul is serious about what he's saying. He's serious because it actually matters that the church is now the place where heaven and earth meet. The church is now the place where God dwells in our midst, right? Which means people ought to be able to experience stuff when we gather that you can't get anywhere else. Stuff like grace and truth. Love and compassion, humility and unity, conviction and encouragement, hope and forgiveness and transformation. Y'all, in this place, dead people come to life. Like, that's what the hope of the church is. And Paul's like, don't you know how you're acting? Don't you understand that what you're doing is going to hamper our ability to offer hope to the world? And so he says, man, hey, Church in Corinth and us, you better pay attention because this is a really big deal. And then Paul gives them a warning, which is to the church in Corinth, but it's for all of us. For anyone who dares try to destroy God's church. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. If anyone tries to bring in worldly stuff, that split and destroy a church. God's word is very clear. He will destroy you because it matters to him. So if you're one of those people who's growing the fruit of dissension and factions, right? It's time to like sit up straight and look in the eyes. Like that's what my grandma used to say. Like, boy, pay attention, sit up straight. Like we need to look and see what God is saying here because it's a really big deal that anyone would dare try to destroy the church. Because look at what Paul says, because it's sacred. Like the church is sacred. Like it's holy. Like Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground, holy. This isn't just brick and mortar. Like this is the church of the living God. And it dwells in this place. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, like church is everything. Like the best things in my life, my wife and kids, how I'm raising a family, my best days have been because of the local body of believers. Like the things that I've experienced that have brought the most joy and satisfaction has been because I've been connected to a local church, whether it's here in Arizona or in Kentucky or Louisiana or Ohio, wherever I've been, as I've been attached to a local body of believers, man, my life has been forever changed. My best days best days 
have been gathered to the church. And in my worst days, the church has been right by my side. To offer encouragement and hope. Yeah, all of us. I think all of us have that story. And so the church for me isn't just some building. It's sacred. And I really believe that we together are being joined to be this temple. Here's the thing, though. As good as it is, it's also been horrible at times. Because what I know and what I've experienced is worldly foolishness from people coming to destroy the church. The things that have been said and the shots that have been taken and the way I've seen churches split over what is just ridiculous has left me wondering, man, what are we doing? Because I really believe that we're God's temple. I really believe that we, as a church, have the opportunity to impact thousands of lives because we have the gospel. Like, and I want us to be a church that takes seriously the fact that God dwells in us. And because we believe that true, we wouldn't dare do anything to hamper or lessen the opportunity for us or anyone else to experience the presence of a very real and living God. That we know people right now are dying without hope. And we have the hope of the world, yet we continue to let foolishness run amok in our midst. And so I want us to be a church that takes seriously this command and this warning. Because we really actually believe God lives in us. Every time we gather, we experience something that you can never get out there. It's a big deal, and Paul says so. And so he says it's a big deal for our church, but it's also a huge deal for you. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, like you and me, you and me, God lives in us. Like the creator of the universe has chosen to take up residence in you and in me. Like that's an amazing thing. And again, what's happened is, is the enemy has convinced us that this actually isn't that big a deal. You see, most of the times we hear this verse and it's about like not drinking and not smoking and not doing drugs. And this is all great. You shouldn't do those things probably, right? That ain't what Paul is talking about. Like this is incredible. It is so amazing. Again, remember I said, the thing that sets us apart is what? That we have access to the presence of God. That's our distinguishing mark. And again, remember the veil. It doesn't let us in. Like God is kept in and we're kept out. Look what Jesus does. Matthew 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus' last breath. And at that moment, look, at that moment when this happens, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Like literally the moment Jesus gives his last breath on earth, access to the presence of God is removed. Like we now, uh, it's no longer restricted. We're granted access because Jesus' death gets rid of that. And I love the author of Hebrews picks up on this. In Hebrews 10, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy of places, we remember that, that only one day, one person, and it certainly wasn't you were getting in there. Now we have access to enter in the most holy of place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. So it's been torn. And how to get torn? Through his body. So Jesus' death gives us access into 
the most holy of holies, which is what? Where the presence of God now dwells, right? And then the author keeps going. He says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. We weren't getting near to God before. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So again, our first issue is sin. Like it's got to be removed. And because of Jesus, that can now be removed. Like in how it does that is our bodies are washed pure with water. Like the significance of this is huge. Just to boil it down, this is baptism. This is why it's such a big deal that it signifies, it symbolizes so much more than somebody just taking a dip in some water. Like it allows us to be washed clean to actually begin to house the presence of God because that's what Paul says. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because we then die to him and are raised again, Paul says this is our reality, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Like that is mind-blowing to me. Like, don't miss this. Like, in all your mess and imperfection, with all your worries and anxieties, with all your fears and your faults, with all your scars that you know are there and that we see and all the scars that only you see. Like, you, you are God's temple. You are now the place where heaven and earth meet. Like, that's what this is saying. And man, it is amazing. And it costs God everything. Again, he says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And it was a huge price. It was Jesus. This is how the author Peter says it. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect, that that price was huge that was paid so that you and I would have access to house the temple of God, that the same spirit that dwelt in the tabernacle, the same spirit that dwelt in the temple now dwells in me. And it should change everything, everything about us, right? It means I don't have to go to meet God somewhere. Because he's been sent to be with me everywhere I go. It means I don't have to stay behind the curtain. That I have access now. It means I don't have to offer sacrifices because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. That you and I have access at all times, in all places, in all seasons to God. That all of us who surrender our lives to Jesus always have access to the presence of the living God. And Paul thinks knowing this should actually change how you live. Like, you should actually be different. He keeps going. He says, so you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You have the temple of God. Therefore, therefore, honor. Honor God with your bodies. You see, when you read the context of this, the people in Corinth were just thinking they could do whatever they want, and it didn't matter. You're free to do whatever you wanted. In this context, it was actually about sexual immorality. You see, their context was a mess in Corinth. Like it was just a a train wreck. And Paul is saying like, no, no, it actually matters that it makes absolutely no sense that we would use our bodies for immoral ways if it's the place where the spirit of God dwells, right? Or said differently, like if you're going to host the presence of God, 
You can't simultaneously be hosting sin. And that's what Paul believes. That be, do you not know that the temple is now you? And because of that, it should change the way you live. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to take seriously our call to actually live out what God's plan is. His plan for faithfulness in marriage, and then his plan to restrain from sexual activity outside of marriage, right? We can't just think, oh, well, that's just how it is. Well, that's what everybody's doing. Like, that's exactly what Paul is writing to in Corinth. You see, in Corinth, there was the temple of Aphrodite, and it had thousands of priestesses, what basically amounted to no more than prostitutes. And men of the day would just go and have sex with them. And there was no condemnation whatsoever. It was considered normal. That's just what you do. Like, you just got to be happy. Sound familiar, right? And what Paul is saying is that kind of attitude was beginning to infiltrate the church. And Paul is saying, don't you know? You house the very presence of God, and you've got to quit messing around with sin. That's what this response is to. That's our call as believers. And Paul believed that that was important. And the craziest thing is, the early church, they actually changed the way they lived. So much so, I love this quote from Tim Keller. He said, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan, a non-believer, gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and they gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. Like their beliefs actually transformed the way they lived. And here's the secret. It should always be that way. Always. Like, because you and I have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, our lives should look markedly different than those who are slaves to sin. It has to. That, that's, that's the whole reason Paul writes 1 Corinthians 6. He looks out and he sees a church that's acting absolutely foolish and doing everything the world is doing. He's like, no more. That's enough. And his number one reason to get them to pay attention is because he's like, hey, you know that thing you didn't have access to for so long? He now lives inside of you. Don't you know? Don't you know how big a deal that is? And so the question is, where in your life are you not honoring God with your body? Like where is sin taking over? Where have you stopped allowing the presence of God to transform your life? Because you enjoy darkness and sin way too much. And don't give me the excuse, that's what everybody's doing. I don't care. God doesn't care. He has standards, and we're called to live by them. Where have you ignored the leading of the Spirit? Because I know some of you, God has been telling you for a long time to stop doing that stuff. But you keep leading and being led by your flesh. Don't you know? Or you should know. You are now without excuse. God is calling us to change the way we live. I want to go back to where we started, kind of with the whole series, but even today as we close. In Revelation 21, we read, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. 
In the end, it will once again be the people of God in the place of God and join the very presence of God. But until that day comes, until the day comes when you and I get to go be with God forever, God has said, I'm going to come and be with you. I'm going to come be with you. I'm going to live inside of you to give you life and life everlasting. And so the question is, are you here today and do you feel stuck? Is life chaotic and lifeless? How many of you are tired and exhausted? Like, what would it feel like to let go of whatever it is you're holding on to? Like so many of us are like white knuckling it, just trying to figure it out, just trying to hold on. What would it be like to actually open your hands, take a breath, and surrender? Like what would that do for you to actually use what God has given us? Like what would that mean for your life? What would it mean to take the gift? and actually put it in. How would your soul be different? How would your faith be different? What if we actually used the gift God gave us? How would your parenting be different? Your marriages, how would they be different? How would your ability to love your neighbor and your enemy be different? To have self-control and to finally figure out that anger issue and to squelch greed and jealousy. What would it look like if our lives actually surrendered to the gift and allowed him to live in us and through us? You see, as much as I want you to know about the Holy Spirit, man, my deepest hope is that you actually experience him in your life and that your life begins to look like and flourish how God always intended it to. Let me pray for us. God, we are overwhelmed by your goodness. That in this place, when we gather, you're in our midst. God, may we never take that for granted, that we get to experience in this place something that nothing else in this world has to offer. God, may we protect it. May we fight for it to root out dissensions and factions and evil because this place, God, we understand the significance that this is where heaven and earth meet. And then in our own lives, we wouldn't dare do anything that would bring dishonor to you. Because we understand that in all of our mess and our brokenness, God, you have come in and made us yours and sealed us with the promise and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God, may we actually live like we believe that. May our words and our actions match. And may this place and us as your people be a beacon of hope 
to all who want to experience the presence of the living God. And we're grateful for your word and for your truth. God, help us surrender our lives to what you're giving us. No longer in our strength, God, but through your spirit that now dwells inside of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.